Hello, friends and neighbors. Thanks for downloading the 115th version of Scoring at the Movies, the podcast that goes back, sometimes way back, to review athletically inclined motion pictures. I'll warn you right now that we spoil around here. I'm the nearsighted fellow who isn't a dud who's dead from his dandruff down, and that's only because I've been using head and shoulders for most of my life. Ryan Ellis. And here is... Nobody. Chris DiGregorio isn't available to record this week, so I'm flying this plane solo, the way I did when we covered The Great White Hope back in August. We said at the end of the Babe episode two weeks ago that we'd be talking about Six Pack today, but the new plan is to do that two weeks from now, assuming Chris's life gets back to normal by then. By the way, he's okay... It's just that he's dealing with bigger fish than scoring at the movies right now. He will return. So today's film is, of course, the Harold Lloyd football comedy, The Freshman. If you were hoping we'd be chatting about Brando and Broderick in the 1990 version of The Freshman, well, you didn't read the description before you downloaded. And I don't think that movie has anything to do with sports either. Anyway, I chose this one partly because it was nominated in the sports category of AFI's Top 100 Genres. There are about 15 more titles we haven't already covered amongst those 50 nominees. Plus, of course, Bev and I talked about some of the greats like Bull Durham, The Hustler, Rocky, and Raging Bull on the Top 100 Project, my other podcast, before Chris ever suggested we even do this podcast. Also, by the way, I did a freshman episode years ago when I recorded The Great White Hope, but we didn't end up using that because it's lost to time. I don't know what happened. Bev's computer got screwed up, and we're lucky we even had The Great White Hope on there anymore. The Freshman was released on September 20th, 1925. That makes this the oldest movie ever on this channel and one of the two or three oldest films I have covered, period, on either of my podcasts. Since this film's 100th birthday is only a few years away, it might help to refresh all our memories about the plot. Harold Lloyd is Harold Speedy Lamb, a freshman, Natch, at Tate University who has a Rudy-esque craving to be on the football team. He also craves his landlady's daughter, Peggy, who's played by Jobina Ralston, but those feelings are pretty G-rated. Anyway, the cool kids won't let our man Harry play their reindeer games, and they mock him behind his oblivious back. The geek is not talented, so he doesn't make the football team despite wanting so badly to be part of it, but he does get to ride the bench and be their water boy. If you like Pratt Falls and the kind of comedy where the hero is always the butt of the joke, then this is the very old movie for you. And like that one-track-minded Rudy Rudiger, Harold the Underdog eventually gets to suit up in the big game. But that was really wordy, you know. Can you boil this thing down and give us a nutshell? Why, yes, I can, Stallion. So, in a nutshell, 30-year-old post-secondary student participates in vicious athletic contest while clearly suffering a serious concussion. Oh, the 20s. The 1920s. Oh, the 80s and the 90s, you know. Good point, Rock. Brain injuries equal pure hilarity. Well, until this century. They take them a lot more seriously now, thank God. You could probably tell already that I'm going to spend most of this episode mocking the freshman, but I don't actually hate it, even if that's how most of this will come across. The movie's well made, it has a big heart, and you'll soon find out many, many people adore it. I respect that. It's just that it's ripe for a ribbing because the corny comedy isn't funny anymore. 
But then again, Chris and I have been saying on this channel for a long time that the movies in the 70s, they're not that funny either. And The Freshman is 50 years older than they are. So what do we expect, really? If you, by the way, haven't watched the flick or just wouldn't mind seeing it again, I found a high-quality print on YouTube just by searching for The Freshman 1925. I believe it's been on the tube for years and years, so it shouldn't be taken down even if you don't seek it out for a while after listening to this monologue here. I said the print looks good, which makes sense because Harold Lloyd was ahead of his time and preserved all his movies. So many classics and not-so-classics from the silent era are lost forever because no one took care of them the way this man did. Just ask Marty Scorsese about that. So let's hit you with some facts and figures. The Rotten Tomatoes critics were and are in love with The Freshman. 94% of them gave it a positive review. The average is 8.5 out of 10, although there are only 18 reviews on the site, so that's a small sample. 78% of audiences liked it too. Wikipedia says it's made over $2.5 million over the years, although a lot of that would have been because of the re-releases, which were in 1953 and then again in this century. The AFI liked it too. It was 79th on the top 100 laughs, which means it was ahead of Bull Durham, Fargo, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and City Slickers on that list. Those at least made the AFI's top 100 laughs, unlike The Big Lebowski and many other hilarious comedies. The voters thought the freshman was funnier than Bull Durham and Fargo? I didn't laugh at this a single time. I appreciate what Lloyd and the cast were trying to do, it just isn't the knee slapper it's reputed to be even though people literally slapped their knees while laughing so hard at some of Harold's hijinks in an early scene in the auditorium. You don't see people whack their own legs because they find something so hysterical very often anymore. Maybe they were just starved for comedy in the 20s. Any kind of comedy. In addition to being nominated in the sports category of the top 100 genres, the freshman was nominated for the top 100 cheers, meaning most inspiring, and the 2007 AFI top 100 list. That cheers thing, by the way, might be rise above hate, as John Cena would say. That 2007 thing means it was amongst the choices for one of the greatest movies of all time. Huh. But this might be even more encouraging than that for people who revere this picture. The National Film Registry made sure the Library of Congress would protect it as long as Congress continues to exist. We'll see about that. Because this went into their library in 1990. And that was only the second year of the National Film Registry. So listen to this lofty company. All About Eve... It's Wonderful Life, Raging Bull, The Godfather, and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre are just some of the great films in that group. That's a steam company, Mr. Freshman. This film was directed by two guys, Fred Newmeyer and Sam Taylor. They also did Safety Last with Lloyd. Safety Last is the comedy where our man Harry hangs from a clock over the street, and reportedly he really did that crazy stunt. You've probably heard or seen that, and if you haven't, look it up on YouTube even just for that one scene. And the dude was missing some fingers doing things like that. He wasn't quite as crazy brave as Buster Keaton, but it was close. By the way, that's actually him getting repeatedly tackled by the other guys in practice in this movie, too. Just imagine being a literal tackling dummy all those times for 10 or 15 takes, or maybe more. You can see it's him getting nailed each time. Either that or his stuntman is his exact double. Then Harold, or his stuntman, probably his stuntman since he's wearing a mask at this point, comically gets straight-armed backwards down a set of stairs by the coach. Yikes. And speaking of dangers to your health, shards of glass getting in the eye seems like a legit concern to anyone who's ever needed eye help, like me, yet Speedy always wears his specs. <laughs> of course, glasses were Lloyd's trademark, so that's why he always wears them in his movies. The writers of all this tomfoolery were Ted Wilde, John Gray, Tim Whalen, and co-director Sam Taylor. Lloyd himself was an uncredited writer, and he also produced the film. The movie is in black and white, although they apply some of the filtering that filmmakers often used back then. You see blue, for example, simulating a night scene. It's also silent, but has a wall-to-wall -wall music score by Robert Israel, 
which was written much later. Back in the 20s, they tended to have somebody play piano live in the theater or even use a whole orchestra to accompany the moving pictures. People rave about that when they do it now, where obviously the score is not part of the soundtrack. Say John Williams has done this for, I think, Star Wars. And people say that's awesome. This was supposedly the first sports movie ever made. But is the sports part of this sports movie any good? Well, no. Football was so different back then, and Lloyd is trying to make us laugh instead of making us truly get caught up in forward passes and touchdowns, so granted. Although that doesn't change the fact that I think Forrest Gump understood the rules of football better than Harold's character does. And you know what? Forrest was also an All-American and got to meet the President of the United States. So lay off my man, Forrest. Give him a break. His wife was killed by AIDS. I don't know about you, but I always think of football as a younger sport than baseball or basketball or even hockey, partly because the first Super Bowl was in the late 60s, yet here I'm reminded that they played it in the mid-20s. Probably sooner, surely sooner. That may have been a bigger thing in the college ranks back then, as Chris and I discussed when we reviewed Leatherheads back in February. It's funny to think pro football wasn't a big deal 100 years ago, considering how dominant in our culture it is today. Early on in the freshman, the title card says something about, remember the days when you'd rather be right tackle than be president. And this was back when people actually respected presidents. Although I don't believe Harold ever actually does play right tackle. He plays other positions on the offensive and defensive line, but I don't think right tackle is one of them. Left tackle, for sure. And he does it while wearing a measly leather helmet that doesn't look like it provides much more padding than a baseball glove does for your hand. Harold's favorite movie is The College Hero, and the main character in that does a little jig, which Harold starts doing too, especially when he first meets and shakes hands with somebody. And if you find any of this funny, then you'll think this movie is ranked too low on the AFI's Top 100 Comedies because he does this little jig 4,318 times in a one-hour and 16-minute movie. I counted 4,318. Okay, I didn't count, and maybe it's more like 40 times, but it's still a lot. Speaking of exaggerations, Harold wins the game by breaking approximately 200 tackles and scoring the winning touchdown. Everyone, even the salty coach, is doing the handshake jig after that. Hilarious. But I got ahead of myself. As the game is winding down in the fourth quarter, the score is 3 to nothing for Union because they've been walloping so many Tate players that Tate is down to the last two guys in the bench. Harold's one of those, of course. Union must have played dirty to knock that many players out of the game. I also noticed that for a game that ended 6-3, to three, the fans are pretty excited the whole time. One lousy field goal and then a touchdown in the very last play sounds like a pretty dull game to me. I guess they were absolutely positively starved for violent entertainment back then, just like they were starved for that comedy. Of course, the irony of all this acceptance at the end is that Speedy spends the entire movie being mocked by everybody in school because of how oblivious he is. And guys, cut the dude some slack. He's an enthusiastic guy. He's not a complete idiot. Not complete. But question... Do college students really bully people this badly? In high school, sure. Teenagers can be monsters, especially when someone is even just a little different from everyone else. But once you, or more accurately, your parents, start paying big bucks for your education, I assume you're there to learn something, including wanting to grow up and mature even a little bit. Well, you do that, and you get drunk at keggers every night, of course, yes. It is college slash university. You gotta do that. And Harold could buy a lot of rounds of beer for the guys who don't like him. He's got money. We already knew Harold liked to throw cash around in one of the opening scenes. But the Tate tattler even calls him Speedy the Spender. What a great story. What a scoop. Maybe his dad cut off the money train at some point, though, because Harold settles for a room that costs just $3 a week. I know this was nearly 100 years ago, but that seems like a bargain. And, of course, Peggy, the landlady's daughter, is at that boarding house. It's at the fall frolic dance where Harold tries to be cool and impress people, but loses a sleeve off his tux because it hasn't been fully tailored yet. Now, this is an elaborate sequence that deserves some kudos. One of the gags seems very old school. 
although maybe it was a very new gag in 1925. But I did enjoy when Harold, because he doesn't want anyone to see the ripped sleeve, uses his tailor's arm in place of his own right arm to shake hands with people, while the tailor is hiding behind a curtain. But that tailor needs to go back to tailor school and sharpen his skills, because when Harold dances, the suit really falls apart. All this is well executed. If only it was funny. It's cute and it's charming, I'll give it that. Prattfall lovers will marvel at the gags in this scene especially, really the whole movie, but this scene in particular. So after Harold cries like a baby in Peggy's arms when he finds out everyone has been mocking him, she gives him a pep talk, saying he should just be himself and not worry about what the jerks think. This works, because he vows to play against the not-so-creatively titled Union State, even though much like in Lucas, the coach doesn't want anything to do with him. Okay, he can be their water boy, but only as long as the players are allowed to laugh at him. It's a good deal. I just mentioned some movies that owe a debt to this one. Lucas, the water boy, and also Rudy, although that was based on a real person, and a really whiny person. As for the Waterboy connection, Lloyd's estate sued the makers of Sandler's football flick a couple years after it came out because the Waterboy was effectively stealing the freshman's story without giving them credit or paying them any money. The Lloyd people lost that case on appeal, though, and that's after this movie was sued for allegedly stealing the story in 1929, a couple years after it came out. It's the circle, the circle of litigation. Boom. And by the way, I just mentioned Lucas, the Waterboy, and Rudy, and Chris and I have covered all of those that are in our archives, and the Waterboy was only about a year ago, in fact. Let's get back to Union State versus Tate. State, Tate. Harold hasn't played a single down, and the game is almost over. In fact, he's wearing a sweater on the bench. I don't mean his jersey. He has that on, too, but I'm talking about his cardigan. Not enough guys who play college football today wear cardigans when they're sitting on the bench. Let us bring back this trend. Maybe let them have a pipe, a martini, and a rolled-up newspaper, too. So classy and so warm. So anyway, Harold demands the coach let him get in there, and the team does need a warm body. So, much like in Lucas, the exasperated coach finally just lets the dork sub in. Then one play later, after trying to motivate the disbelieving troops, Harold ends up on a stretcher. But by gum, he's not going to quit that easily, even if he clearly gets treated to a bad concussion on the very next play. We're talking the kind of thing that might cost a doctor or a coach their job these days if they let a player stay on the field after that. There's the scene where Harold accidentally catches a pass and is gang-tackled, because only in the movies do they ever dole out penalties when an entire team piles on one guy who's already been tackled. He's down! Stop tackling him! Soon after that, Harold just rips the ball out of the quarterback's hands. I smile with that one. And Speedy won't stop speeding, even when he's tackled and whistled down. That and also when he runs a hat in the end zone for a touchdown. Zany! Suggests that I think both teams should have teamed up to beat the living snot out of him for being such a putz. Even if Tate did forfeit the game because they wouldn't have enough players anymore. That's even more true after he outsmarts the other team with ball hijinks, but then spikes it at the one-yard line, and Union gets a possession they shouldn't have had. But fear not, Harold will still end up, as I said, winning the game for Tate. Bring on the Meposian Dance of Joy, or the Jig, or whatever it is he does so often. Die, 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 die. Hey, 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 hey. I love Perfect Strangers. love the theme song especially. And to wrap up this picture, Harold reads a handwritten note from Peggy that says she loves him. Take note, aspiring screenwriters, it's always better to write something as personal as that than say it in person. And because Harold is kooky for the pegster, he leans onto the shower knob and soaks himself. He's so smitten, he doesn't even notice. That's a companion piece in this film to when our man Harry didn't notice that his sweater was set on fire after a man had tossed a lit match onto his shoulder. But that did lead to a hijink of misunderstanding over slap backs, something that gets reprised at the fall frolic when a woman is the one who's misunderstanding. It's Three's Company-esque levels of misunderstandings, all in the name of comedy, people. 
I wouldn't say the actors and the freshmen are great or anything, partly because it's not just the comedy of this era that doesn't age well. Most silent performers come across as hackneyed. Their acting was almost always arch and overly expressive. Norman Desmond said, We had faces. Yeah, Norma, but sometimes, often in fact, in this era, people did too much with their face. At least this flick doesn't fall too deeply into those cliches. A little, but not that bad. Come to think of it, Lloyd was actually a lot like Buster Keaton in that way, too. He generally underplayed. He's the forgotten man of the silent comics. Keaton and Chaplin are fondly remembered to this day, but Harold Lloyd is not a name most people know unless they're true movie lovers. Harold Lloyd made 190 short films, but only 22 feature films. He was also the Tony Danza of his day because the first name of his characters was almost always his own first name. He plays Harold in Safety Last, for instance. Of course, he's Harold in The Sin of Harold Diddlebach, which reused some of the football action they shot for this movie, incidentally. And he's Harold Speedy Swift in Speedy, which is a 1928 baseball comedy co-starring Babe Ruth. Chris and I just covered a Babe Ruth movie two weeks ago, of course, The Babe, and we said the Bambino acted quite a few times. Well, Speedy was one of those times. And it doesn't look like it's actually a sequel to this movie. I think his last name's even different in that one, even though he's called Speedy in this and Speedy in that. One more thing about Lloyd is that he won an honorary Oscar in 1953 for being a master comedian and good citizen. This and Safety Last were obviously the titles the Academy had in mind when they threw an Oscar at him. Bob Hope and Marion C. Cooper, the guy who directed King Kong, also won honorary awards that year, so people known for comedies and thrillers were getting their due in 1953. Jabina Ralston plays Peggy. She did a few other flicks with Lloyd, but was also in Wings, the first ever Best Picture Oscar winner. That was released a few years after this was. Brooks Benedict plays the college cad. He was in over 340 movies, including Speedy, so Lloyd must have liked working with him. It's weird to see just how often Benedict was uncredited in those hundreds of roles, though. Pat Harmon plays the fiery coach. He was in over 130 movies, but just like Brooks Benedict, I see a lot of uncredited roles in his resume. Of course, these days, they run a credit list that, because of unions, tells us who catered the meals and who drove people around, which they certainly weren't telling us 100 years ago. Unless you're a top-billed actor, you usually weren't mentioned in the very brief credits of silent films. Can you score at this movie? Well, Harold is gaga for Peggy, and she seems to dig him, too. Seems to. She confirmed it in a card. But it's hard to feel sweaty about a movie that came out in 1925. So no, I don't think you can score while watching The Freshman. In fact... I dare you to try. The depiction of the sport is putrid, but at least it's putrid in the name of laughter. And if this really was the first ever sports movie, well, let's just say that such things would improve as time marched on. Besides, Chris and I have covered a lot worse and a lot dumber than this. I'll acknowledge that many people think this is a hysterical romp. The AFI sure does. Rotten Tomatoes sure does. And they'd call it a true classic. But I think it's just okay at best. I'll give it a 6 out of 10. It's a sports flick that treats the sport like a joke. The comedy is supposed to have you in stitches, but I only smiled here and there. So maybe I'm being generous and even giving it a six, but I'll stick with that. Anyway, that is that. Another One Ryan show is in the books. Hope you liked it, as I basically just went through the plot, did it a little differently than we always do because I'm talking to myself and I'm not used to doing this. I respect the people that do have podcasts or YouTube shows and they just ramble on, but make it seem so folksy. How about following me on Twitter? I'm at moviefiend51, fiend d d d 51. Follow Chris too, because just like Frosty the Snowman, he'll be back again someday. He's at Scoring at Movies on ye old Twitter. Chris's return will probably happen for our next episode, by the way, and we'll probably do what we didn't do today and talk about Kenny Rogers, Diane Lane, Anthony Michael Hall, and friends in Six Pack. At some point, we'll do that because I've watched it and prepared the notes, and it'll be a fun episode, I think. If he's still not available, maybe I'll be one manning it one more time, looking for an ancient sports movie on YouTube that I can crow about for 20 or so minutes. 
We ask you to subscribe to our podcast, rate us, make some comments in the appropriate places, and maybe even fire off an email to us. The address is scoringatthemovies at gmail.com. So take her easy, Speedy. And for the love of Mike, find the new handshake. That one is played. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da